We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed, Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter, and it's Wednesday, January 25th, and it looks like Slack is down. I think Amazon Web Services is down. So everything's down. The projections on Roto Grinders are down. Everything's down. My email isn't down. But uh, instead of going through uh, to try to figure out how to pull some information over places that I I, I don't know where they are anymore. Uh, Instead of taking questions from the YouTube chat, I see you guys in there, right? What does? Suki's back. People are like, do we need to do a welfare check? We, we saw him yesterday. Matt Kajewski's here. Richmond TX Slick. Give me those thummy thumbs. I figured to bring in. If, if he was going to be in chat uh, participating anyway here this morning, why not just bring him in? It's uh, Dan Daniel Hutchings. Nerdy Tanner, right? Uh, you're, you're, you're always... You're always you're, I, I sometimes I don't even get like you're up early in the morning and you're just tuning into the show and it feels like it feels like you're like 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 that like my dad like you're 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 in the chat <laughs> just to, 
just to make sure that I don't say anything stupid and then clarify stuff in the in the chat room for other people. Well, honestly, I, I get up pretty early and I'm in uh, mountain time, so it's pretty early for me. But uh, it's usually around the time I'm either uh, setting up contests for the day that I'm going to play or I'm doing cardio. And in either case, it just makes sense to throw the show on. So why not? So do, do you feel do you feel that uh, everything that you've done for MMA late swap is all for naught when they reverse and go back to not not having late swap? It what? Let before we get into because I wanted to go through a very basic uh, explanation of what simulations are. The the cool term is run the sims and that type of stuff just for people, but. This the MMA stuff that I was, you know, ranting about on Monday, because uh, yeah. you, you even tweeted out, it's like, you know, you may have had the biggest edge in all of DFS for like, like a three-week period. Or <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's I'm, I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, it was to the point where I, I told my wife and kid, I'm like, I'm gonna be trying to do more on Saturday for a while because I this is an opportunity and I do less on other days to make up for it um, because it was such a big edge. And it was not clear how long it was going to stay around. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm betting they're going to get rid of it soon. It seems like not, not so much because um, it was a bad idea, which a lot of people think it was a bad idea, but because they can't seem to get it right. Um, they don't how have do you the deal with that. Cause I mean, I mean the, the big complaint, even from, from, like people with an edge, people that utilize late swap, like me. I yeah. mean, I was using it for more for the small field contest. Is that like it's hard to even do anything when you when they you could swap into into fights that already happened and yeah. ones that should have been locked but haven't happened, but but you may still get voided, and you don't even know either what your opponent's lineups like. Like, is the guy in front of me is that lineup void? Going to be void in two hours? And also, if you're swapping out like like me manually, it's it's easy, six to eight lineups. I know what's going on. But if you have yeah. 150 lineups, like how do you know that the Jelton Almeida in this lineup is going to be in the same technical spot in the CSV? And then right, DraftKings doesn't know that like that lineup technically didn't change, but you swap. But the the, it moves. the the order that it was it like like I'm almost figuring like how do you even do those late swaps with 150 lineups without knowing? if you're just invalidating so many lineups by accident. Yeah, I got lucky in that respect. I was not playing last week because I was in Montana. Can't play DFS in Montana. But, um, yeah, I mean, the irony is it looks like they're going to end up doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. I think they'll get rid of it just because it was more of a headache than they realized to, to do it properly, to set the lock times and make everything work. And that's why they're if they're if they get rid of it, that'll be their the real reason. But um, yeah, no, I don't. I, to your original question, I don't feel like it was time wasted. I think I, you know, a lot of my motivation is working on interesting new problems, and I thought that was an interesting one to attack. I had a lot of the pieces already um, for trying to figure out a smart way how to recompute strategies as new information comes in. So that's applicable to other sports as well, obviously. Um, there are other sports with late swap. Um, none of them are as clean as MMA, though, because MMA, the fights are over very quickly, whereas 
if if you were trying to do something general like this for say large field NBA, let's say, and you wanted to look at all the entries in the contest and then recompute strategies, that's much more complicated because you have games that are only halfway done and it's very difficult to estimate how much more production there is from each of the players in the games that are halfway completed, right? You want to incorporate that information like, oh, well, this guy is going off relative to his production. You know, half the game is done, but he scored three quarters of his projected points already, right? So those lineups are great. Well, maybe not. It could be the case that the way his minutes are allocated, he's just gotten through most of his minute allocation and it's a little bit deceptive right um so those kinds of th considerations greatly complicated for most sports but mma couldn't be simpler right you you know they fight for you know anywhere from a minute to you know 15 minutes and it's done right and, and nothing else is and also nothing no fights are happening at the same time nothing else is happening right right so i mean I'm, I'm assuming nfl is like that i mean like for NFL, yeah the early games and the late games, you get this little overlap, but for the most part, you kind of know what the results are of like the eight 1 p.m. Eastern games and then the four, like then you could do that. But of course, that also means yeah. a bulk of like 80% of the slate has been played before you're even making those swaps. While in MMA, like one for the first fight of the night out of 15 could drastically change how you build lineups for the rest of the night. And they're just going to go off like in linear order. Right, yeah. I, I did start to put together something for NFL Classic because that seemed like the easiest um, easiest one to do after, but I don't think my NFL Classic stuff is good as it is, so I have other problems to fix first. <laughs> I'm assuming MLB would be tough because the, yeah. the variant – I mean, it's like, oh, Mike Trout is 0 for 3. I mean, I guess all those lineups are dead. Oh, in his fourth at bat, he hits a grand slam. He got there. Like yeah, you, you, it's, can't, you can't really do it for baseball. Yeah, I think I also think the value for baseball is less for that reason because like the the reason the reason one of the reasons MMA swap is so vital is it allows you to change the variance of your lineup, right? Because the fighters have radically different variances. That isn't really the case in baseball. They're all high variance, right? All of the batters are high variance. So swapping off of one batter to another is unlikely to make a gigantic difference in the variance of your lineup the way it does with MMA, right? I think, I can't prove that, but I I suspect if you, if you simmed it out to get to the topic of the show, if you simmed it out, um, the EV of swapping versus not swapping in a sport like baseball would be much, much lower than in a sport like MMA. Because right, because, I mean, you're not, I mean, the, the the range of outcomes for MLB hitters, I mean, yes, you have the Luis Arias's who are more likely to get base hits and doubles and stuff. And then you have the Joey Gallows that, you know, hit home runs or strike out. But that yeah. describes, like, pretty much, like, all of baseball. All of the, yeah. Right, and then, but in MMA, we get these, you know, the fight is inside the first round is like minus 650 between two heavyweights. And then you get like a, a, a 115 women's uh, straw weight that is like 
minus 300 to go to decision. Hmm. It's like, well, one one fight, it's more likely that one dude scores five and the other dude scores 110. And the other yeah. fight, it's most likely that one scores 45 and the other scores 75. And, like, that's kind of the range of outcomes for that fight. So, like, if you want to increase the variance of your lineup, you're typically playing the heavyweight fight. And if you want to yeah. decrease it, you're, you're you're looking for, like, the women's MMA underdog, 7,200. Can she get an 80-point win? And depending on what has happened on the slate, maybe you're more likely to want one over the other. Right, yeah. I think that's right. So you wanted to talk about what a simulation then, is. Yeah. Yes, I, 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 got some, I got some emails in, right, uh-huh. uh, about – like, People know about projections. We talked all about projections for the for two weeks, it seems like. And we'll talk about them again. And people are like, okay, I got these projections, right? And I show these blunt methodologies on how to use projection sum, whether it be, you know, the range of outcomes, the standard deviation of the of the players, the the, the total ownership or the product ownership, how to, you know, uh, compare the two, even Monte Carlo sims. Right, mm-hmm. we talk about Monte, which is the very much much simpler version of what you do. What's what's the difference? What when people talk about simulations, a lot of times people think in terms of like play by play simulations, like you're sim you're simming out the game. But mm-hmm. these aren't real. I'm I'm assuming these aren't these types of simulations where you're not going like, oh, it's first and ten on the twenty and. The guy runs the ball for two yards. You're not doing NFL simulations like that. You are taking the projections from a source like Roto Grinders, hmm. and then you're doing some magic. You're simulating something. And now I'm obviously not going to get into the nitty gritty details of exactly what you're doing, but just the concept of what simulations are for the general audience that either may want to attempt to do some simple version of it themselves or just simply understand what they are. So when they see like simulation output of like, this guy has a 16.8% chance of being in the optimal lineup. Like, what does that Mm. actually mean? So like in general, what, what are simulations and what it's, what, why are simulations more useful than just simply looking at mean projections? All right. So just to start, so my terms might be slightly different than others. So apologies for that. Uh, simulation is just a general term. All it means is is that you're trying to approximate something in the real world. That's it. And that can be as simple or as complicated as you want. So um, the, for the dead simplest simulation uh, sport like NBA, if you have a projection, a median projection, and you have a floor and a ceiling representing one standard deviation. So basically you have, you know, you've got the, I can't do it with my hands. You've got the, the, the standard. Belt, I, I do it. I do it a little. Right. Yeah. So the simplest possible simulation for that would be you roll a random number and there, that just gives you a point on that curve. And that's your simulated outcome. And then you just do that for every player. Now, I chose NBA as an example here because NBA is the most normal, most normally distributed of the sports in terms of athlete performance. And it's also the least correlated. The the correlation between players, generally speaking, is the least significant. Um, 
So that's a simulation. So when you, if you use a tool like Lineup HQ and you add randomness in your build, it's doing sims for you. It's doing a rudimentary simulation. So basically what it's doing is um, for each lineup it generates, it's taking those median projections and adding some noise. There's a couple different options for how you do that. I think I think there's just percentage randomness and also true true range. Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's there? what it's called. Yeah, where they they try to fit the correct probability in the normal distribution, basically. And each lineup just uh, uh, does that simulation of every player and then picks the optimal. So that is using sims. That is a simulation. And so, so that's the first point. A simulation can be very simple. Um, and the other point to mention is that it's quite likely that any projection source you're using has simulations behind it. So uh, places like Roto-Grinders and others, many of the numbers you see uh, in the projections have some kind of simulation methodology behind them. So, and they're often mixed with, with human judgment. I know that, for instance, on RNG, there's a team of people who try to figure out what all the coaches in the NBA are going to do, because this is a this is a hard problem and it just significantly affects uh, the projected performance of the players. But also there are, there are definitely projection systems that are running sims in the background and that's how they get at the numbers that you see. Um, when it comes to more sophisticated simulations, there are, there are different ways to go about it. Um, and and it's, it's good to, to consider what the goal is here. The goal with these simulations is to get as close as possible to reality as you can. So um, it's it's up to people like me and you to decide like how much effort is worth the increase in accuracy and how much time is better spent looking at other things. So um, I have done everything from the MBA methodology I just described, where you just treat all the players' performance is normally distributed and don't worry about anything else, all the way down to trying to simulate actual plays of games using a synthesis of third-party projections, historical game logs, all sorts of crazy crap with correlations and and uh, trying to figure it out. And I've done everything in between. So I, I think for most people, uh, the key is to have good projections and good projections often come out of good simulations, I would say. That's how I would frame it for most people who play DFS like a normal person. Right, because essentially the, when you look at a projection, as, we, as, as we've explained here, is that, that that projection, that column, that FPTS column, is just the 50th percentile outcome on a range of outcomes so it's like it's yeah. not no one's gonna it's not exactly 40 oh this guy's gonna score 43 fantasy points today it's like no that's just he's gonna 50 percent of the time he scores more and 50 percent of the times he scores less and then you see the floor and the ceiling and those are the one standard deviation plus or minuses of that and and when people come in a lot of times to dfs they they want to try to predict the future like what's going to happen tonight 
And what the projection model is doing is essentially running out 10,000 versions of tonight and then giving you through a simulation methodology and then giving you that, that range of outcomes. What happens on tonight? That's not in a, like, we don't know. We just know if this night played out 10,000 times, this is what happened. But what, if there, if the projections are already doing that, I'm kind of, I'm serving, I'm serving you up a little softball here instead of doing (laughs) what I normally do and answer the question and then ask you, uh, if the projections are already simulating 10,000, 100,000, whatever, a million different outcomes and then giving you that distribution, what's the purpose of then also putting on something like true range randomness? Why can't I just go by, well, why can't I just go by median projection and just like, I'm just going to build no, no randomness, no nothing. Like what is the actual true purpose of, of simulations? Is it more that you're getting closer to reality or is it more that you're actually simulating the variance of 10,000 different outcomes so you're not just locked into that 50th percentile yeah well if you're playing gpps um you'll quickly well maybe slowly learn that if you're just playing high projected median lineups uh you're gonna get your ass handed to you handed to you because um you're, you're you have two problems the first is that well, NBA is not a great example. The variance might be too low because you need to to win GPPs. Generally speaking, you need extraordinary outcomes, and it's in most sports it's harder to achieve that when you grab from media because um, you're going to overlap with so many other people. You're going to be highly correlated with other lineups in your contest. <clears throat> so, in order to win with just high high median projected lineups. Um, you need two things to happen. The quote-unquote chalk needs to smash because you're going to have a lot of chalk. And you need to have exactly the right combination of chalk pieces to beat everyone else who's also playing the chalk. So it you need to consider all of the different outcomes when you're playing GPPs because most a huge chunk of the EV comes from when your lineup does extraordinarily well, like three standard deviations above its expectation. We're talking, you know, one in a thousand, one in 10,000 kind of shot. And in order to to do well, you need to consider much more than just the median, right? You need to consider the extreme results and you also need to consider the ownership of lineups of other people in your contest, right? So what? So what? So uh, I'm I'm thinking uh, in a in an average player's head. It's like, well, instead of median, why don't I just, why don't I just optimize and do everything by ceiling projection? You can do that, although you'll find that you get pretty much the same results. It's you get because the ceilings and the medians are highly correlated in most sports. So it's not going to make much of a difference if you do that. You can play around with this and see. Um, <coughs> you, you, what you're looking for is likelihood of uh, extraordinary results in your lineup compared to ownership, quote unquote, right? That's that's the metric you should be using to guide your decisions if you're playing as a human and not a, a computer. So you can have 
I mean, it's easy to construct a lineup that has much higher projection, you know, lineup A has much higher projection than lineup B, but it's much lower EV because it's going to be so massively duplicated that it isn't worth the increase in projection to reach for those players, depending on your contest. And this, of course, this changes drastically based on contest size and payout structure. You know, if, if you just like to play head-to-heads, medium projection is a, is a perfectly fine place to go. Um, and it might be sufficient to win in some small stakes contests if you just jam in medium projections and, and don't worry about anything else. Um, but as soon as you have progressive payouts with multiple players, you need to think about how how extraordinary a performance do I need from this lineup to win my contest? And how far down do I have to reach in projection to get there, right? Because it's always going to be a trade-off there. Like if higher, higher projected lineups should be more owned, right? Because they're more likely to put up a bigger score. It's just, are they owned approximately the right amount or too much or too little? Those are the questions you need to answer. So in the largest of GPPs, you know, a $5 GPP with 50,000 people in it, the number one mistake you see besides people just putting in horrible projected lineups is just jamming in too much chalk. And for that reason, a good heuristic in those kinds of contests is I need to reach for um, more contrarian lineups because they're going to be underplayed relative to the chalky ones, right? The chalky ones will be overrepresented. So I can get EV by going down a little bit that distribution and and uh, getting lower on guys. And simulations can show you things like, well, how far down the distribution do I have to go to get different levels of ownership, right? This is like what, what you show people all the time on the show, right? Is right, like, but I mean, but I show a very blunt way because people ask, Dan, people ask me like, they want the, 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 obviously they're asking magic settings type of things of like how much, like in like obviously we're in NBA season, so it's a normally distributed sport, so it's it's going to be much different than baseball. But the last me, it's like how much projection should I be giving up for X amount of ownership, like in general? And I say yeah. it's hard it's hard for me to even judge that without looking at the specific dynamics of the slate, the size, mispriced players, the combinations of chalk players, and what their positions are like. Like I would yeah. have to run lineups just to see, and then even at that point. I'm looking and then I have to just make a just a just an instinctual judgment call of like, yeah, I think I think around here is fine. I think I think like for, for the size contest that I'm in large field, it's like, OK, I could go even lower. And then maybe I come up with a yeah, I think I want to give up at least six points, but I don't want to give up more than 12. And in between there, I want to at least drop another 60 percentage points in ownership. But and then they ask, well, how'd you come up with those numbers? It's like. I kind of pulled them out of my ass by, by just like looking at them because I don't have a more precise way of doing this. All I know is that I don't want lineups that are 30 points lower projected because those are just bad lineups. And I don't want ones that are only two points lower projected because they're like one V ones off of cash lineup. So it's like, it's naturally heuristically going to be somewhere in that middle zone. And the larger and larger the contest gets, that zone gets bigger and bigger and bigger 
that right. you could find tons of candidate lineups. They'll all have different variances, though, right? The ones that are lower down, they won't min-cash that often, but they'll have shots at first place. And the ones towards the top may have a little bit less of a shot at first place, but they'll min-cash more often. And then in the small field stuff, obviously, the, the, the zone may be narrower. You don't have to go 10 points low in projection, right? These All these bad low-projected lineups, there's a lot more of them. But yes. they... but. But they asked me, it's like, well, what are the numbers? And I'm like, well, there's no magic numbers. Like, if anyone could come up with the magic number on a slate, it would be you. So, like, how do you utilize simul? Like, you don't even use a simulation methodology where you have to pick out those, like, what I'm even doing. But yeah. you probably could be do it more precise than I can. Well, okay, a couple of points. The first general point is... Um, you know, a lot of people who like are not technical at all, they hear simulations and they they think they think it's a little bit magical. It sounds like uh, it sounds like magic. But but the truth of the matter is when you're running simulations, you, you have to make assumptions all throughout. Right. There's still human error there. You're trying like somebody like me. My goal is to try and remove as much human bias as possible for my process, both mine and uh, whatever projection sources I'm incorporating, right? But it's never perfect and it isn't magic and it will reflect any errors I've made or others have made in providing me with projections. That's the first point. But um, the second thing is there are two different simulations that I do. One, one is to simulate athlete results, right? And that's just what we've been talking about. How many fantasy points is this gonna, guy going to put up and what's the distribution of outcomes and how, do the, how are all the players correlated, et cetera, et cetera. I get that as accurate as I can. And the second thing is to simulate the contest itself. So in order to answer the questions that you're talking about, um, uh, you have two choices. One is to have a ton of experience like you do and research, know how to research slates correctly and know which things are important and even more critically what things are not important to look at. Um, but the other is to just try and simulate a contest directly. So that's sort of been my focus is to try and figure out, you know, in a hundred man Yeah, but contest, that's a tough problem. But I mean, it is a hard problem. simulations are is probably the single most tough it's the i would say would you agree with me that if you could simulate contests especially the large field ones if you could do them accurately it's the biggest edge that you could have but it's also literally the most difficult thing to do i think that's probably true um from an accurate standpoint because but no. all, this is at least from a layman's, uh, from a non non computer programmer standpoint, is that? Oh, you have you have you. I wouldn't say you're a pure layman, but go yeah, ahead. okay, you're right, true. But <laughs> but the, the the reason why contest simulations are difficult is that number one, you're taking projected ownership, and you're then trying to like simulate what lineups will actually be in this contest from that, yes. and. You have to match the projected ownership, but also match the combinations of players. Like you can't, you can't just say that oh, twenty percent owned. But if he's in ten percent of these lineups, are lineups that no human would ever make, right? Although they're in twenty percent of lineups, like 
it doesn't matter what the ownership is. And then also the error bars on ownership are so wide as it is that yes. if you have, even if you aggregate and you have this guy at like 8% owned and he comes in at 14%, it's like your all your contest simulations are just like insanely inaccurate because like even 4% here and 2% there just drastically changes the exact lineups. Because So now you have to try to make the kind of close to the exact lineups even if you had perfect ownership is tough, yeah. right? That's and now, great. now you have like, you know, an R squared of like, like 0.83 on ownership, which is still, it's not bad, good. but yeah. still way too, way too. It's not accurate enough to you'll, you'll end up with like 30% of your, your simulated lineups be lineups that you'll like, you could compare to the actual contest and not see anywhere close to those lineups in there. Right. So, I break this down into two things, um, even though a lot of people don't like this dichotomy. So when you're, you're uh, one, I think I figured out reasonably well, and the other I haven't at all yet. So the first is, you know, if you're, let's say you have this hundred man contest, right? What would the ownership look like if everyone was playing very well? So basically, you put a hundred Alex Bakers in there, okay? But they they all play individually and they don't talk to each other. So that's one way of thinking of of efficient ownership. So that problem is one I've spent a ton of time working on, and I think I have a pretty good handle on how to do that. Um, so once you have that, um. You could just try and play that, which is what I do in a lot of sports, although not all of them. Um, you can just try and play um, that efficient ownership and just wait for the fields to get it wrong. And hopefully they get it wrong enough so that you can profit after the rake. This is what I would call an efficient play style or a balanced play Balance, style. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, or but, a, GT, a GT, like you're like you're a... Your avatar, your GTO, right? <laughs> yeah, I actually don't like the term at all because the word optimal is unfortunate. Um, it's, it, it does too much work. But but the, the other way is say, okay, and, and I should point out that in order to punish the field, so the other way to make money is to say, the field's going to be way over on this guy. I'm going to go way under, right? Because all those lineups are going to be minus EV. So if I'm right. So um, this guy who should be 20% owned, he's going to be 40% owned, I think, which is way off. And I'm going to profit by playing him, either not at all, or if I'm not super confident that about this guess, maybe I'll play 10% as a hedge. So that would be exploitive. So in order to, to exploit the field, you need two things. The first is you need to have an estimate of what the field's going to do, which as, you, as you've described is difficult, right? Even if you have reasonably good ownership estimates at the athlete level, um, it's not clear that that's enough because the combinations are really significant. Um, if if, if three, three NBA players almost always appear together, that's really important information and is not reflected in a individual players ownership. So that's the first problem. But in, in order to exploit the field's mistakes, you need to know what 
you need to have a rough idea of what efficient ownership is, right? When you say, oh, this guy is 40% owned, he's way over owned. That implies that you know what the right ownership is, or you're, you know roughly what the right ownership is, right? In order to make that statement. And someone might be like, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't think about it that way. Okay, well, would 30% be over owned? Yeah. 20% be over owned? Not sure. Well, then there, there's the range. So you are implicitly making a guess on what efficient ownership is when you say a guy is over or under owned. So you need you need both of those pieces if you want to exploit the field's mistakes. Now, as you've pointed out in many contests, especially at lower stakes, the field can be so wrong that a very rough guess of ownership is probably sufficient to get significant edge there, right? Um, like a good example in baseball, occasionally you'll see a hitter have two good outings, two games in a row, and he's already chalky. And then on a 15-game slate, he's 28% owned or something crazy. And you just, I don't know what the efficient number is, but I know it's a lot lower than 28. So I'm going to go under on this guy, right? That's sort of a directional way of doing it. But to figure it out automatically is very difficult. You need... You need good estimates of a lot of different things that are inherently hard to predict, right? So it's an active area of research for me to try and model different kinds of fields and see how close I can get with my ownership guesses. And even then, then you need to know the correct counter moves, right? Um, to exploit them uh, the most efficient way possible. So I'm trying to figure that out too. Right, which is which is my my GPP style of like I play, I may not play max exploitative, but I mean I I've, I've never cared about like building a portfolio of fifty lineups and like oh I'm gonna play them at the exact ownership like the I like no I'm just trying to build lineups that take advantage of doesn't mean I don't play over own people it's just that you have to build those lineups to make up for the the loss of EV from that player in your lineup while the field isn't making that consideration so even though like you have that instance of that 28 percent owned batter like oh oh and people will say oh you x them out it's like no i don't x them out it's just that i'm probably going to be using them in my three percent owned st if they show up they're going to be in my three percent owned stacks and the sp2 that's six percent owned because mm. he still has a high projection but the problem is that much of the field from a combinational or combinatoric standpoint are using them in very it's that guy with the chalk pitcher with three of the chalk uh, the chalk stack and it's like yeah i could just avoid that combination with that player especially and right. if you don't tell your optimizer or whatever methodology you're using to build the lineups it's just going to go by that fpts column and you're going to end up getting these clusters of players chunked together and you're going to be like oh i'm under i i, I only have eight percent of this guy I'm way under that 28. And it's like your 8% of the lineups look like the 28%. Like they look like those lines. It's like, yeah, you're under on those types of lineups, but those types of lineups were bad to play. You'd rather just have 8% in a different type of lineup. See, that's why the main reason that I start, I always preach around, just don't build by exposures. Like they don't really, they don't tell you the full picture. They, you have to look at the actual yes. lineups. But when it comes to the to the lineups, 
uh, a question that gets asked all the time with like uh, like Slate IQ here at Roto Grinders, mm-hmm. and and other sites have a si- si- similar type of things where they we get to MLB right, and we'll be like, oh, this stack has a thirteen point eight percent chance of being optimal, or something like that, or this yeah. NBA player has a twenty three point two percent chance of being in the optimal lineup. Like these are coming from simulations. But I've I've described how if you don't understand how those numbers, what those numbers mean and what optimal means also and what contests you're talking about, that people may be looking at these numbers thinking one thing when they really and then making decisions on these. Oh, he's 23 percent chance to be in the optimal lineup, but he's only going to be 16 percent owned. So that means he's he's under owned. I'm like. Like you're probably right, but you probably didn't come to the most precise way of coming up with that. Like that, you can't just compare those two numbers together because they're different. You're, you're, it's apples and oranges, kind of. They're, they're related. So, can you discuss like what these simulation outputs are of like this optimal rate type of thing? Yeah. Or in the optimal, G, a lot of times it's large field GPPs, right? This stack is 15% chance of being in the optimal MLB lineup. Like what, what do those mean? How, how, how are those? Cause those are obviously come up with using simulations. So how does, yeah. how do those numbers appear? And what do those numbers really mean? If you're not using the simulations and you're just looking at that output. So it's a tricky issue and I'll, and I'll tell you. Um, so, you know, I don't work for any site. So the, the, the problem as an end user for these kinds of tools, like Slate IQ and other, other sites have similar things, right? Um, they're, they're trying to provide useful information coming from simulations, but they can't give away too much of their secret sauce in terms of how exactly it works. So because of that, there's always gonna be a little bit of guesswork in terms of what the underlying methodology is. And so, I can't answer for Slate IQ because I don't know how they do what they do. I would be guessing. I can tell you what one site does. I won't name it. Um, there, And this is a good example where it's helpful, but it's not necessarily doing exactly what you think it is. Um, there is a site I know for a sport that runs simulations. So they, they do game level simulations using their projections and their their proprietary tech. And so um, they will run an entire slate of games and then they will compute the optimal lineup given their simulated results. And then they tabulate how often each athlete appears in the optimal lineup. Okay, okay. so to break break it down just for just for yeah, slow it down. <laughs> is that yeah. They're going to run, like, let's say they run a slate, a million occurrences. So yeah. in the first occurrence, what's the optimal lineup? And it's like, oh, uh, you know, whatever. This Aaron Judge is in the optimal. Okay. okay. That's yeah. one. And then the second simulation is like a Dodgers stack. And, oh, Freddie Freeman's in. Right. And then yeah. they just a million times and they just tabulate this up and then divide by that million. And it's like, this is the percentage of time this player is in the optimal lineup out of a one every simulation that we do, right? That That's essentially what you're explaining. That's right. So, and I, I bring this example up because I know the details there um, and I'd be, I'd be making shit up for other sites. 
So, so you get this list of numbers. You get athletes and how often they appeared in the, in the simulated optimal, right? It would be a, a mistake to assume that those percentages are the optimal rates you should play those athletes in your lineups. That would be a mistake. Um, it might be directionally correct for the most part, but it doesn't take into account several critical factors. The combinations that they can appear in is one of them. Um, another one is the payout structure of your contest, right? So the more top heavy a contest is and the more players there are in it, the more accurate that methodology would be. So I have a, a theory, which I think you could prove, that if you had a contest that was winner take all with an infinite number of players in it, then the optimal uh, strategy is to play each lineup in direct proportion to how often it is optimal. That's so. If it's optimal eight percent of the time, you play it eight percent of the time, and right. that and, and the, that re would and the be reason the for and the reason for that, I just want to highlight the reason for that is because in that fictional payout contest, the only way to win any money is by hitting the actual optimal lineup. Correct. Right. So the only goal is to hit the because second place ain't going to pay anything, and with infinite amount of entries. Every combination is going to be used, which means the optimal actually will exist in this GPP while you know, I'm assuming you're going to get to the next point that in a lot of contests that you play, most contests that you play in actual DFS, the optimal lineup isn't necessary. That's correct. So, um, you're, so baseball is a good example because if you just, and I've done this, if you just run Sims and then pick optimals, uh, you'll be highly overweighted in your set with just collections of one-offs. The reason for that is that's a way to absolutely maximize the top-end variance, which is what you need to get optimals. So it can be a little confusing in baseball to talk about variance because stacking increases your variance, but it, it increases, increases your, your variance, but it decreases your chances of hitting the nuts. Right. The it, incre it increases it like to the right of the distribution, but the very, very far tail, it, it probably actually decreases it a little. Mm -hmm. It changes the shape. But for so if you just if you, you know, went onto an MLB slate and say, I'm just going to run simulated optimals and at random and just throw them in the lineup. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're going to have not very good results because the the um, you're not going to stack enough. You're going to be making bad trade-offs to get the to to increase your chance of getting the literal optimal. You're going to be throwing away too much EV everywhere else, and you're going to be minus EV. So that's an example where, like, knowing the details of how the simulation is created actually matters for for what should be actionable. Well, so, what's wrong but what's wrong with trying to get the literal optimal in MLB? <laughs> Good luck with that. Well, well, I mean, the, the point I'm making is that the literal, if you computed the literal optimal for some of these DK MLB slates, that'd be like 282. And you look at yeah. the large field GPP and the winner is two, 228. 220, it's like 60 yeah. points lower. And it's like, like, cause you don't need, you don't need the nut yeah. lineup. And then also if you're playing, let's say you're playing small field, right? You're playing 300 man. Well, then it's an even It's like, like what you don't need anywhere close to the optimal. And then also, as I've highlighted before on this show, even with those optimal rates, you mentioned combinations. And I always give an example in NBA where there's this 3K guy that projects for God knows how much, right? Because of some injury situation. And then you'll see these simulation outputs say that like, oh, Giannis is 23% for the optimal or, 18% 18% for Jokic and LeBron is, is 22%, like all these high price guys. And they're like, Oh, I, I got, I got to play the, I got to play Giannis today. Cause he's the highest chance to being in the optimal, but I'm going to fade the chalky three K player. It's like, no, but the reason why these high price guys why. are more likely to be in the optimal is because that lineup has both the high price player and the low price player in it. So if you're not going to make that combination, then that th- those numbers don't matter to you anymore. That's right. Yeah, it's 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 basically telling you how often a high-priced player and the three K twenty-eight minute guy are in the optimal. Right? That's what it's actually actually saying. Yeah. So so the details matter, but I I, I don't want to piss on sites that provide these kind of tools. I still think they're useful. I just I think I I would be careful and I wouldn't take them too seriously they're probably good at giving you a general picture um so they're useful in that respect but i have to say in the case of of like slate iq like if you look from slate to slate like like if i blacked out the dates and the names and i showed you the graph like they're all basically the same thing it's the same damn thing every time almost for for a large slate other so, than other than maybe the specific teams, like most of the time, like in MLB, like I'm not looking about. Well, what's the lineup construction look like? What is like it's it's going to be the same for large field like every day. Yeah, pretty much. So it's more of the fact of I'm looking at the based on our RG projections, like how much is a st- is this team stacked four or five man 
going to be owned versus the likelihood of their outcome being above average or whatever like that. And then yeah. I could look at that. And then obviously I'm, I'm aggregating, I'm looking at Cardi's bat projections. So that's going to be different. So like, if you're looking at like Cardi's projections and then RG slate IQ, like they're not that it's two different sources. Like you're not, yeah. you're, it's like, well, based on the, based on Cardi's projections, right. Oh, there's, there's a 700 mile an hour wind in Wrigley. Well, Cardi's going to have all the Cubs for like 700 points, right? You know, like we we all know the the bat loves the the ballpark factors uh, and the weather and stuff more than most other models. But if you go to the the slate IQ, it'd be like, well, why are the why are the why is the Cubs only 5.6 chance to be in the optimal in slate IQ? But like all these guys project for for God knows how many points in the bat. It's like it, it's two different sources. Like if you if you did the same simulation methodology as slate IQ with Cardi's bad projections. I'm assuming the Cubs will be like 22% chance of being the top stack. So like right. you have to also realize that you're looking like the underlying data of one thing is not the same as the underlying data of another thing. And the same okay. thing, if you look at multiple sites, I know I wear on Roto grinders now, but if you're aggregating from other places or looking at other things, it's like if they have four minutes less on this guy than we have, like, that's why, that's why they're, their optimal rate or whatever simulation output show like a low percentage. Like it's, but look at the minute and it's, if they all have the same minutes and everything like that and all the same projection, then, then you could go, Hey, why, why is one showing much higher than the other? But a lot of times it's, it simply comes down to differences in minutes or usage or, yeah. or, or the, the, the bad is very good at these, like, like little small sample sizes on pitchers. Right. Hardy's very good at extrapolating out like minor league data and all this type of stuff. So a lot of times you'll get like some SP2, some $6,800 pitcher that's only 2% owned that projects really well for their price. Yes. And like the only people that are playing this guy are people that use the bat. Right. right. And then you have like a 6%. Like if you go somewhere else, they'll say that that, that guy projects for three less, four less points. And is barely ever going to show up in the and then, but also you have to realize you may be on a slate in baseball where there's no cheap pitchers to play. Like no one wants to play any cheap pitchers, which yeah. means all these lineups with with cheap stacks are being overowned and hence being more likely to be optimal. But now that if you're using the bat, you have the sixty eight hundred dollar pitcher, it changes all all the other stuff you're looking at is based around this pitcher being much lower projected. So all the construction types and all the optimal rates and everything is just you, you just throw it out the window. Now someone like you, like like you're doing that yourself. So like you're you're yeah. you may not be coming out with that output, but essentially you're running that yourself where you're not you don't have to be directionally correct by like looking at tools like Slate IQ. You're just doing it. Yeah, I I basically try, I try to do both things. So I always simulate athlete performance one way or another leaning heavily on tools like the bad and others and incorporating that my own stuff there. And then I also always simulate the, uh, what I think the efficient ownership should be at the lineup level in pretty much every contest I play. And now I'm trying to incorporate exploiting the field's mistakes, but that's very much a research project at this point, because it's quite difficult to, to automate. Um, and to, and yeah. to be clear, I just want to make it clear to people like you're not making your own projections. You're like you're literally using no, industry projections. I am. So it's a bit of a hybrid model. So 
I, I sort of think as projections and sims as all of a piece. So really what I'm trying to do is get a distribution of outcomes for all the athletes. Basically a joint distribution would be the mathematical term. So that incorporates correlations as well. So basically thinking mechanistically, it's, it's like a crank you turn, you turn it once and out comes random set of scores for all the players. Turn it again, another set. And I try to get that as close to, to real as possible. But I, I do, I feed in projections from various places and also add my own stuff to generate those numbers. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not an expert on sports. Um, um, almost everyone listening to this show knows more about sports than I do. So I, I know what I'm good at and that ain't it. So I, I happily pay money for smarter people to figure out that problem. Um, but I think what's most interesting and the, the questions that I've gotten in in my email inbox, which you could uh, send questions at theoryofdfs.com. If you have any questions for the show, just send them in. Just uh, Even if I won't cover them for a week or two or whatever, send them in. I do answer them as the topics for the show. But people, the main thing is that I get, I get, these are, these are winning players. So like th these are profitable players that are looking to even step up their game even more. And they're like, okay, I already get they they're doing what I do, right? They're at the point where I'm not simming stuff out or anything like that, but I'm I know where to look for the plus EV lineups. And you know, I could I of course me, my secret sauce is that I will manually change ownership to what I believe, even though yeah. even though that they may not mathematically add up to the right numbers or anything, but for my intensive purposes, I think I could predict human behavior better than others. Uh -huh. uh, so when I build my lineups, they're not going to look like the lineups that you built through RG because I will have this guy is going to be ten percent more owned because dude he's literally on everyone's like top plays list or like like or or I'm building lineups in lineup HQ and I'm getting eighty three percent of them like like he's going to just end up in so many more lineups than you expect like stuff like that. But people are emailing going okay they get all of that but like how do they then get into like build not necessarily building exactly what you build, but mm -hmm. like taking these, these projections and going, how do I go like, and make like, for instance, if I wanted to, I want to be able to take the projections and the ownership and then be able to have a program, uh, spit out like 5,000 lineups that fit a certain, like the, or I'm playing a 5,000 person contest. Can you, can create 5,000 lineups that I think will be in this cut, like stuff like that, where they're taking the projections and the ownership and then doing something else with it. Mm -hmm. And like, I've, I could do some, some stuff in Excel that is really poor and it takes really long. Uh, I know you could do much, much quicker in Python, but I don't know Python, so I don't do it. Uh, I think that's the, from a general note, without getting into details, like, what would be like the first step of what people could do if they if they want to build their own simple simulations or do these types of functions where they're like, okay, I have the RG projections, I have the RG ownership, I have all this information. I'd like to I have the correlation coefficients of players to each other. Like now I just want to kind of like how do I simulate like I we have a lineup simulator in theory theory DFS, but that's just like a simple lineup based Monte Carlo sim. Like it's that's, that's almost too simple. Like, mm. 
where where it's like okay i have uh, i want to be able to take five, uh, spit out 3000 lineups and then compute like like some type of like expected value of the lineup versus or is this guy too owned in some directionally correct way hmm. what how would you tell someone to go about it obviously without your extensive programming experience of what would like the next step be like something maybe they could do in excel maybe or something like I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to like because I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know if do anything accurately without kind of like really learning how to do. It. Yeah, I'm not sure, and I might not be the best person to ask for this because I'm a little sick in the like. <laughs> I I kind of go for a super ambitious thing first and see what I can get. I you know making sure each each individual step along the way, I'm happy with, but. I think the question is like, what's your goal in doing that? If if you're just interested in learning like programming stuff, just pick the smallest problem you can think of and solve that and move on to the next one. If if you're actually looking to supplement your process with with useful outputs from simulations that you write, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I think because in order for that to be worth it from an EV perspective, it needs to be more useful than what you're already get getting subscribing to a site like Archie. And I think that's a pretty, a fairly heavy lift for most people or the tools on your course, which I think are very clever as well. I took a look at those um, on your second course, the Excel stuff. So I think it's, it's, it's a pretty, there's a lot of smart people in this space and a lot of them provide pretty good tools. I think, I don't know. Plus, I'm you know I'm not I'm not the best at this. There are people who are doing similar things to me that I think are better. There are also people who who crush without doing any of the stuff I do, and then there's people who are sort of hybrid who who have a little bit of simple custom stuff most likely, but are also deciding at the human level what to do. So there's there's lots of different ways. But in terms of what could you do? to enhance your process. That's tricky. I'll have to think about that some more. I don't have a good answer. <laughs> but I think it's tricky because it depends, like, if it's not accurate enough, then yeah. it's not useful enough. It's like, right. like, I agree with your point. Like, I always come back to, I think this, the, the, the most, I think the most important episode I've done in the past probably three years was the first, like, the first of, the, like, that DFS pregame show from like in December when I like rebranded of like, where does the money come from? Yeah. And it's like the reason we can make money in DFS is because of the bad lineups. And I, right. I always say the bad lineups are either the low projected lineups or the two high own lineups. And using the, my methodologies, which are not simulation based, which are, I'm using the tools that are readily available here at Roto Grinders. Right, even the Excel tools that that we have in Theory DFS aren't complicated. I, I mean, you don't even need them. You could do stuff manually. Uh, like I'm profitable, so it's like, but I'm profitable because there's you know there's enough lineups in there for me to be profitable. So if it got to the point where I needed to build my own supercomputer like you, uh, or compete on that level, it's like that the rake eats everyone. It's like I, I right. view it from that perspective. So like. How much more EV do you need to get 
for your time. So if you told me that yeah. that I could increase my ROI by 1% by doing X, like it doesn't mean I do X. It means how long will it take me to do X and how more accurate X will be compared to others. It's like, if you tell me I need to spend 40 hours a week full time for the next, uh, you know, eight weeks just to learn something and then have to maintain that five to 10 hours a week, I'd be like the 1% ain't worth it. That's right. Well, it's it's highly, why do it? Highly dependent on volume. And that's one of the reasons, well, one of the reasons I play the way I do is because I'm a weirdo and I have goals other than pure EV, but it's also the, the volume that you put in drastically changes which things are worth spending your time on. So I'm putting in, I don't know, I, I have to look at my numbers. I think I did $8 million in volume last year, $10 million, something like that, uh, across multiple sites. Which, and which in is, that which case, is, uh, to put things into perspective is like 10 times the volume that I put. And right, 10 right. to 12 times the amount of volume I put. Yeah, plus a lot of that volume, um, I have a much smaller edge than you because some of it necessarily has to go into higher dollar contests where the edges are usually smaller, right? The rake be, is lower though. That's true. It does compensate. There's there's one sport actually where I think I actually have higher EV in the higher dollar contest, which is bizarre to me. Um, because the uh the rake discount uh more than compensates for the increase in opponent ability. But that's another story. But my point is like a one percent edge for me is quite significant like on that amount of volume. But most people are are playing much, much smaller than either of us, right, in terms of volume. So you should be going for the huge edges, which are readily available at the lowest stakes, right? I mean, the, the point at which I think most people should consider writing their own stuff is number one, because they find it interesting and fun. And number two, they're hoping to just massively increase their volume. I think if you don't have either of those, I, I'm not sure what the point would be in, in trying to trying to code up your own sims. I, it's probably not worth your time. Spend that time plugging your leaks and finding the massive edges in, in, in the sports that you can just crush everyone, right? I, I think I think the misnomer on like, oh, I need to I need to code my own stuff. I need to do what I need to do what nerdy tanner does. I need to do what what the burrito brothers do. I need to do what Alex Baker does. I need to do it. And I tried to explain this in the, the, where the money comes from type of thing is that it's, it, it is, we are playing a zero sum game, but it's not zero sum from the one, like there are multiple, it's multiple zero. It's a multiple sums from multiple zeros. So it's like, here's all this equity that is being seeded by these bad lineups. And now we are fighting for, a share of those. And while That's someone true. like you may have a slightly higher share of that, doesn't mean that I can't have a share of that as well. Not at even all. Even though I will have a lower share. So it's like, like, oh, I'm competing against Uticow and McLovin and all those people. It's you're also competing against 10,000 other people. Also, it's like, like, yeah, yeah. They're going to have a slightly higher EV, slightly higher ROI or whatever, but it doesn't mean that, oh, just because they're in the contest, that means you lose, right? I always That's give the right. poker example of like, dude, you could be in a game, a nine-handed game as like the seventh best player in the game, 
Yes. But if seats eight and nine are so bad that they're losing God knows how many BB per hour, like you could sit there and make two BB an hour just just being in the game, even though six better players are in the game with you. So like as yes, long that's... as there, there's an edge, like you you don't have to be the best in the contest. You just have to be better than average. That's correct. Enough to beat the rake. Yeah, that what you described literally happened to me when I went to play poker, <coughs> and I like to play uh, thirty sixty limit, but it was not running yet. So I sat down to play two five PLO, and I am not a good PLO player, uh, but I was probably the fifth best player in that game. But there were two people in that game just massively punting off their stacks. So well, welcome to welcome to every PLO game you'll ever see live. Right. There were <laughs> there were you know, a couple of guys in there who are always in that game are specialists. I'm sure are pretty good, but I'm pretty sure I was plus EV in that game because. But the, and the DFS example. So, I got in the habit of um, writing tools to estimate the EVs of all the players in all the contests I play. Just like I was kind of curious. Um, and I have found several players in the largest GPPs who do not max enter, who have some of the highest per lineup EVs of anyone in the contest. So these are not pros or high rollers, and they are consistently very plus EV according to my metrics. So that just reinforces your point that you do not have to be you don't need to resort to heroics to be plus EV in these contests, right? That's not, you don't need to spend years writing software. Uh, there are clearly people who just synthesize enough of the, the right information and are, are doing a very good job of it. So I just put the that conspiracy theorists will say that you're just saying that so we don't do it. No, I think, yeah, <laughs> your point is really critical to remember that. The difference, this is true in poker as well, the difference between a great player and a good player is often quite small. But the difference between a good player and a bad player is quite large. And you definitely see that in DFS, especially these very large field, you know, $15, $5, $20 entry, where there are, there are large numbers of entries and players who are just routinely losing 30% or more on average. So, and you need that because the rake's 15%, right? So somebody needs to lose more than the rake for you to win, so. Right, to me, to me, it would be more of a sign that DFS is dead or unbeatable or whatever when guys like you leave, uh -huh. right? Like that actually wouldn't be, right? Because people would think it's like, oh, once everyone's doing Sims and once everyone's doing what everyone's building supercomputers as I joke around, right? They're programming, they're they got the, the, the neural nets in their heads, right? They got the plugs coming out, and they everyone's playing out. like that. It's like, well, how do you win at DFS? It's like you don't well when that time comes, those people will leave because there's not gonna be the rake is gonna be too high that that someone like you will be like, dude, I can't beat the bad players like this. Now I, I need that, but that's the kind of the point that to, to close out the show that it seems so counterintuitive to most average players mm. from a game theory perspective that the decisions that they spend the most amount of time on are actually the least important 
because if right. that decision mattered, no one could win in the game. Like if you if you're considering a two v two in a in a head to head, and that was the reason that you could beat that other player. Once you slap on 10, 11% rake on that, the best move is, is the war games. The best move is not the play. Like, you're not at the, you shouldn't be playing this person to begin with. So, really, the decision of just playing that head to head was way more important than what 2v2 that you're playing. But we see with like 99% of people that watch DFS content that. What's that 2v2? What's that, you know, should I play this guy or that guy or this type of lineup or that type of lineup? And it's kind of weird for them to come onto a show like this and me to go, That's those are decisions that you can go to random.org and kind of just randomly pick. And, and hey, if you find it fun to pick between the 100 lineups and you don't want to, you want to play this guy because you like his shoes, like that's as viable as doing it randomly. So feel free to, if you want to spend two hours on the decision, but just understand that essentially if that decision mattered that much, you're, you're, no one could win at DFS anymore because the rake would be too high. That's right. Yeah. And it won't even have to get to that point. I think it'll just have to get where the money you can win is so small relative to the variance that you have to survive that it won't be worth doing. Like it doesn't have to literally get to zero. It, like imagine, imagine playing ten million dollars of MLB uh, with a one percent edge. Like that doesn't sound attractive to me at all. No, not with the variance. No, <laughs> no, <right>? no. <laughs> yeah, get killed eventually. But, but so. that's the but that's the point that I was making. That once you see people like you leaving, that that that's more of a sign. When when all you're left with is the guy on the toilet making lineups. That that's the true sign because the rake is high enough that the guy in the toilet is still building good enough lineups that there's really no method for you to beat the rake, even to beat those players. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think for profitable DFS, that's what I worry about more than anything is if someone comes out with a tool that push button generate lineups, that's smart enough. For your contest like it doesn't even have to be that great it just needs to be better than average and if enough people have that then, then you're just it already exists no but not really sort of yeah but i mean it i mean dude you could use roto grinders tools and build competitive i like dude if you want to build competitive lineups you could feel free to do that the problem is that that the entertainment value of dfs for most people isn't the intellectual like for me and you, even if it wasn't about the money, the yeah. intellectual pursuit of beating a game is what's fun about yeah. it. But for most people, it's the, I'm going to pick the players that are going to do well tonight and then watch the games. And you need 95% of the audience is that. So, like, that's the reason we can make money. So, if you take yeah. that away, like, they're not playing for those reasons. So, when people come here right. for, like, my show and go... You know, I want to talk about sports, and I go, well, then we already have the numbers. Like, why do we care about the the sports? And go, well, this isn't fun. It's like, well, for the people that like this as an intellectual challenge, it's fun. But I understand why you don't find this fun. But like, that's the reason why you're not. A, that's also the reason why you're not a profitable DFS player. Right, and yeah, it's another way to look at that from my side. Is like, if if this weren't fun, and I just wanted to make money, like. 
in a highly risky endeavor that's highly technical, I would just work on Wall Street, right? Probably wake up, make way more money than I make now, but I, I, I enjoy this, so that's why I'm here for now. So uh, I've, I've that's already, also why. Go ahead. What? No, no, I was, no, was going to change the subject. I don't know. I was going to say this is why I'm not so worried about, um, you know, new amazing monster players coming because like all those people could probably do way better just working on wall street i think right. it's a it's a it's a weird path to get to a place like i am but you have to enjoy what you do like i i i mean dude i'm the joey kanish of dfs right i'm i'm fine with where i am i like dude again i can i make 50k or whatever like i'm playing I'm, I, you saw that I'm, I'm 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 back into poker now and then I, I, I've, I've already talked to people, some some online pros behind the yeah. scenes that that yeah. that that know that are poker people that don't play DFS that know who you are. Oh, because I, I yeah. mentioned DFS, I mentioned DFS, and they and they go, yeah, yeah, I have some friends that are into it or whatever like that. I said, I said, uh, uh, and I, I mentioned like nerd. I go, do, do you know Nerdy Tenor? Because it's you know, they go, not it's like. Uh, do you know that you know pro poker tools? It's like, oh yeah, I know pro poker tools. It's like, well, the guy behind that is like, he's a top DFS player or whatever. Or there's plenty of, there are a lot of, there are really a lot of sharp poker people that know really literally nothing about DFS. And sure. some, and I'm talking to some of these people, going, thank God they don't. They did like, thank, thank God for us that they don't. <laughs> but the reverse happens too. I know at least two former professional poker players who played at a very high level. And they left to work on Wall Street because poker wasn't fun for them anymore. And at the point it becomes just about the money, they could just way make way more money doing those kinds of things on Wall Street, probably with lower risk also. Right. Is that the most inefficient market? Wall Street, actually? I, I don't know. They're, it's just, I mean, you, you could probably risk other people's money. We have to risk our own money. So. Oh, right, right. It's, it's America. Everything's <laughs> right. The way it works in the United States. Right. You don't. You don't don't use your own money, right? You get other people's money to risk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Dan, you're at Nerdy Tenor on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're always in, you're in the chat. Um, many the many mornings <laughs> to, to to help people out, right? Yeah, I mean, I you, 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 you message me saying, "Am I am I chat? Am I too chatty? Whatever." I I think everyone in the chat, give a thumbs up. Give give it a thummy thumbs. Give me the thummy thumbs if you appreciate. Daniel in the chat. See what what does this thinks this is fire, right? He he's here. Suki's not here today, right? All the regulars like you, right? Perfectly fine. Very good. Yeah, it was fun to talk about this stuff. So yeah, Sims aren't magic. <laughs> is that the title? We should title Sims aren't magic. No, we're gonna do Sims one hundred and one <laughs> with 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 nerdy Tanner, uh, uh, and and every once in a while when when uh, AWS and Slack goes down, I'll. Uh, Hit, hit you up and say, uh, come on, yeah. let's uh, let's chat about something. And maybe you'll give away get, get a secret that you shouldn't have. Give given. away too much edge, yeah. That's right, right. And that's what people complain about the most about you. It's like, well, why do you have to talk about this? You're going to give someone else a good idea. Yeah, well, what are you going to do? Okie doke. So uh, hit that thumbs up button on your way out the door. Uh, we got NBA stuff later today on the channel. Big slate tonight, and the projection should be up at some point. Slack should be stuff. Stuff should be coming back soon. So, uh, so yeah, check that out. Programming note: There will be no show tomorrow. No show tomorrow. I'm going out late tonight. I, I'm wrestling and 
in nice. Lexington. I'll be back late, so I don't feel like waking up in the morning. I'm just being honest. So didn't schedule a show for tomorrow, but I'll be back on Friday. And we'll be talking more about DFS strategy like I normally do here on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.